What's up, church planners, pastors, and disciple makers? My name is Jared Huntley, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I'm with my good friend Logan Douglas, who's coming to you from Reykjavik, Iceland. You are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by ordinary church planters that exists to encourage and equip other church planters and pastors to make disciples in hard places. Logan, how's it going, man? It's going well, sir. It's going well. Um, you know, it's going well, but do you, maybe you can relate to this. Do you? Are you tired of COVID? Are you tired of the things <laughs> not being like they were last year? Like, am I the only one? No, you're not. I'm okay. tired of it too. And we're like kind of in, it feels like another wave. There's just wave upon wave keeps crashing in and you know, oh, more, more restrictions, more lockdowns. It's yeah, it's crazy. So definitely yeah. fatigued. Man, we planned, you know, this is, this is not how I thought planning a church would end up, you know, the first Sunday post plant, we're doing things online and our community group was online. And so I, I get that most churches have been doing this for, you know, the, last seven months but uh i really thought that when we planted because we we have 11 core team members and four kids so 15 total that we were going to be able to gather mm-hmm. uh but then they changed the gathering limit to uh 10 mm. and so now we can't and so in the uh kind of intermediate kind of phase of, of waiting for things to clear up. Uh, I'm just finding myself not enjoying the uh, lack of busyness. And that's probably something saying about my own addiction to busyness and my like, you know, liking hurry and things. But um, I'm not wanting things to go all the way back to where they were, but I'm wanting them to return to some semblance of normal, uh, at least so I can gather with our people. I hear you, man. Yeah, it's, you know, I feel for you guys, you know, being on a you know, restriction like that, obviously. And we've we've been in the past on restrictions like that. Thankfully, we've been able to gather in person, uh, you know, in a limited capacity uh, over the summer and then in the fall. And who knows if that'll continue. Um, but uh, it's been it's been good. But I, I definitely think that we're all fatigued from it. And uh, I think we'll be thankful when this thing is over, I'm like pulling for that vaccine to come anytime now. But yeah. uh, but the cool thing is that like even in the midst of it, like even though it's tiring, God has still been working in really cool ways. Um, and honestly, when I look back at this year, man, like it really has been a tremendous year of growth. Like for me personally, I feel like God's really used this in my life in a lot of ways. Um, because it's caught, it's given me a lot more time to like, I think step back and think, and I wasn't as busy. And so I got to deal with some stuff in my life that maybe otherwise I think used to kind of get swept over with busyness, right? Like just pack the schedule. And so there were things that almost didn't stop long enough to like realize like, Oh, that should change in my life or, Oh, like, you know, maybe I should think about this over here. And, um, so because of that, it's just been like a really great year of growth for me and, and even for our church, man, like our church has grown, uh, during COVID, which, um, I would not have, you know, predicted uh, at the start of this thing. Um, I was actually going through my journal earlier this morning and I was reading some, I was looking for something else, but then I started stopping to read some of the stuff from like March and April. And I remember reading, 
like, you know, my journal entries from when COVID first hit, you know, and like, oh, na- naive Jared, you know, seven months ago talking about little did he know, you know, what this coronavirus, <laughs> what this COVID-19 would turn into. You know, we were all thinking like, oh, you know, we're just going to we're just going to flatten the curve and then it'll like, yeah, OK. <laughs> so, yeah, man, man, I mean, I th- th- similar to you, this has been a glorious repair year. I think, you know, it's like if, if we're using an analogy of a car and you, you just, you got to go to work, you got to go pick up the kids, you got to go do these things. And, and you might see like a light come on in the car or this weird sound. Um, and uh, you really only have two options when there are those kind of indicators. You can actually go and take it to a repair bay or you can wait till it breaks down and then deal with the the greater catastrophe of the breakdown and i think that i had some unhealthy rhythms mm. that would have almost guaranteed burnout mm. had i kept doing them um and i think by god's grace i have been able to uh kind of enter into uh, the repair bay so that i get this language from uh david murray's book reset which is really really good um, and really just, you know, confront some, some idols, confront some uh, addictions when it comes to busyness uh, and achievement and things like that. And really uh, go to the Lord and get some refreshment, uh, some reorientation and still far from, I think, being done with that. But uh, I don't know if I would have had that same opportunity if things were going full speed right now. Amen. That's good. Well, it's thankful that God's using uh, what can be a difficult circumstances, uh, you know, for good in our lives and in our churches. And, you know, he's sovereign over it all. And uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're thankful for that. And, you know, what we're going to talk about in our topic today, I think it's also it's just a, a good reminder that uh, even when we're facing situations like dealing with divisive people in our church or with false teachers, that God is sovereign over that, too. And he can actually use those circumstances to help, uh, you know, build up his church and to build us up as believers, uh, even though uh, it may be incredibly frustrating uh, when we're facing stuff like that. So um, this is a this is a topic that if you are uh, in ministry and you haven't faced something like this yet, you will, uh, you know, you'll, it's just going to happen. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of times, uh, people aren't well equipped on how to handle. Uh, there was no class in seminary, uh, about this that really, you know, did a good job of preparing me for how to handle things like this. I, you know, I kind of thankfully have, good mentors in my life and, uh, you know, and I've always been, you know, the churches that I've been a part of leading have always had a plurality of elders, which is, man, I'm really thankful for that when it comes to things like this. Um, but it's something that we're all going to face. Um, I wanted to read, you know, Acts 20, 29 to 31. So this is, uh, Paul's address to the elders at the church in Ephesus. And he says this, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So he says, 
Like, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And then he says in verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So what strikes me about that verse, Logan, is that there's an expectation that this is going to happen. Like you will have false teachers from your from within the church who will rise up and divisive people from within the church who will rise up because we're in the midst of a spiritual war. Um, like, and Satan uh, is, you know, not playing games. Like he will stoop to any tactic that he possibly can to attack the church. You know, whether that's persecution, whether that's just outward violence towards the church, or whether it's through, you know, temptation to sin and, you know, tempting God's people to turn away from God and to indulge in lust of the flesh, or whether it's through deceptive teaching and, and, and false teaching and, and deceptive spirits. Uh, there are, all sorts of ways that the enemy will uh, attack. And so I think, um, and I think it's easy for us to spot those outside attacks coming, you know, like we kind of, we know what persecution looks like. Um, we have a semblance of, you know, uh, somewhat of an idea of like what to expect and, you know, how we might respond to that. But I think that the, the attacks from within uh, could be a lot more subtle uh, and we're slower to recognize the danger that temptation to sin and false teaching can present to uh, the church. So, um yeah, I guess, Logan, I'd start off just by asking you, what is your experience with this stuff? Like, and just in your in your time of being in leadership in churches, um, has this been something that you have seen come up? Oh, yes. Um, and I, I was trying to think if I've seen more divisiveness or more false teaching. Um, I definitely don't think that I've seen just a lot of outright heresy Mm -hmm. come up in the church. Um, But I have seen certain people who've deviated to some extent from orthodoxy. Now this you know, if we're to be thinking through theological triage these might be second order issues um, such as, you know, who can be in leadership in churches um, and certain people's, uh, you know, it's like not anything that we would say is gospel, um, uh, you know, first tier, the gospel hangs or falls Mm -hmm. um, on this. I would say more of what I've seen is divisiveness. Yeah. You know, I, I see I've seen and experienced a lot of divisiveness um, in almost every church that I've been a part of uh, in various degrees, depending on which church. Um, and it's typically over things that shouldn't be dividing lines. Yeah. You know, again, if we're to think theological triage, we're talking about the people you vote for. We're talking about homeschool versus public school. We're talking about, um, you know, uh, 
who can say public prayers on a Sunday gathering type of worship music. Um, uh, just and then the, the, sometimes like emotional feelings uh, and taking sides on emotional kind of events. So if there if there is kind of a, a fight in the church um, and, you know, someone gets upset at another person because of something that was said, it's like, you know, I'm on this person's side in this altercation. And, you know, I've just seen, I've seen kind of some things that shouldn't have been as big Mm -hmm. as they were become almost uh, just irreconcilable. Like I cannot get over this and uh, create division. And it's, it's, you know, it's so interesting when you read the new Testament, how much unity is stressed. Like you're, you're right when it's like, there is this expectation that, you know, this type of thing is going to take place. Mm -hmm. Not almost like it might, it, it, you know, I, I feel like many of, uh, modern day church leaders have neglected the um, expectation of these types of things. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, well, if if we're teaching well and we're leading well, then things should just be kind of all okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but we live in a fallen world and our churches are comprised of fallen people yeah. who have a fallen nature that's, you know, by God's grace, we're, we're in the process of being sanctified. You know, we've been justified, but we're being sanctified. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we still struggle with the flesh and there still is an enemy and yep. there's still a world that's swirling the pot kind of. Mm-hmm. And so there's just so many things that are trying to divide. Um, and I, I have seen, sadly, I mean, you name it uh, again, it, like preaching style, child care, you know, things that, and it sometimes they're just very consumeristic and sometimes they're very petty. Sure. I'm not to, not necessarily going to say that they've always been things that shouldn't have risen to that level, but more times than not, they have been like, what, what's your experience in this area? Yeah, I think that I have, We've been blessed at our current church where even in the midst of this really kind of divisive climate in our country right now, uh, there obviously there's a spectrum of political beliefs and, you know, things like that. But we have been able to really kind of maintain unity. Um, I think one of the reasons has been that we have a good, strong plurality of elders and we have uh, we take church membership really seriously, and so we call people to you know live a certain way as Christians, including you know uh, maintaining unity, and so that's kind of an expectation. But I've been a part of churches in the past where church membership was not taken as seriously, uh, and where there was kind of more of a consumeristic view towards church from people who'd come. And so when people see the church as a service provider, uh, they're going to uh, make their voice heard when uh, the service is not being provided in the way that they think that it should be provided. And unfortunately, even healthy churches that take church membership seriously 
that have a plurality of elders, things like that, are going to encounter people like that. Uh, you're going, because we're shepherding sinners and we are sinners ourselves. So whenever you, you know, put sin into the equation, it always throws a wrench into things, right? Like things would be great if it wasn't for sin, but, (laughs) but sin does kind of, you know, disrupt what should be perfect unity within the body of Christ, but we don't always see that. And so it's something that's got to be fought for. Um, and so I think like, I think it'd be helpful maybe to to talk to to briefly just talk about like what you don't do when you or have a situation as a leader where uh, someone's causing strife in the church, whether that's their what and that can come in different forms. By the way, like so, dis- divisiveness and strife could come from a church member who is complaining to you about you and you know criticizing you as the pastor, which is really hard. We've all been there. I think we've all experienced that where, you know, you're getting critiqued and criticized and it's hard not to take that personal. Uh, it could be, you've got, you know, church members who are grumbling amongst one another. Uh, it could be church members who are going behind the leadership's back and, you know, kind of undermining leadership and talking about how they disagree with the way that the elders are leading the church or the, the decisions the pastors are making, or it could be somebody who is going around and influencing other church members. And like, you know, for example, you know, one time we had somebody who was going around and, um, you know, uh, uh, sharing uh, some teaching with members of the church that we would certainly not have wanted, you know, our mem- church members to consume. And so like you, you gotta, you gotta deal with that stuff, right? When you hear about it, when it comes up. Um, so like, I think the first thing that you don't do when you've got a situation like that, divisiveness, strife is you can't just ignore it and hope it goes away, which should not have to be said, but man, I see that happen so much, especially in younger leaders, because there's just like this people avoid hard conversations like the plague. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, well, I don't want to have that hard conversation. I don't want them to leave the church. You know, that's one of the big things. We don't want people to leave the church. We don't want people to get mad at us. We almost see it as a negative if anybody, you know, leaves the church, if our attendance drops at all. And so we'll avoid having what are necessary conversations and good conversations. And it ends up taking something that probably could have been relatively minor and it can oftentimes blow up into something big. Um, And I think the other thing we need to avoid doing is reacting in anger. And taking it personally. So like that's the other end of that pendulum, you know, would be like avoiding it, doing nothing, but don't like take the other extreme and come down harshly and heavy handed on someone because they criticized you or because they were, you know, sharing, you know, some teaching that's questionable with other members of the church and, you know, don't like, you know, call them out and call them false teachers. And, you know, like it may just be that they just need some instruction because they're sheep and they're learning and growing and you know like they're immature and you need to shepherd them and care for them so yeah those yeah, are no i i thoughts? completely agree with that um you know it it requires a large amount of humility to deal with um especially divisiveness um uh, I think well, because um, I'm not going to say that there are not wicked people in this world. 
I'm not going to say that there are not people who are just completely 100% trying to just ruin some churches or some ministries. But I think by and large, most of what you deal with as a ministry leader, as a pastor, when it comes to division or kind of threats to unity, and sometimes, yeah, even false teaching, is you're either dealing with a person who has been hurt in the past, a person who's dealing with sin in unhealthy ways, uh, and or a person who has not been discipled well. And so I think that if we pause and, as you were saying, don't take things personally, uh, so they say it's it's an attack on you. Well, you are fallible. You can be blind to some area where you are failing as a leader, are you as a teacher. They might as have a, a point. Are you suggest? Huh? Are you suggesting they might have a point? They might, you know. <laughs> and and I'm not saying that the expression of their reaction to that point is justified, but something is making them react this way. Mm, That's good. And if you go in guns blazing, defending yourself with your, you know, well, that's not what I meant and that's not what I said. And then you, you shut down dialogue. That's right. Um, and, and you don't really it, shepherd well. And it shows a lack of humility too. Right. And, yeah. and you're not going to grow, uh, if you're just like, yeah, like if you're, if your automatic response is defensiveness, then that's, that's a, to me a warning sign for a, a leader. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you're a pastor who cannot receive criticism and in any format and think that there could not be some shred of truth in it, then you think you're perfect. You think you're above correction. And if your immediate uh, kind of reaction is to defend yourself, I would say that there's a unhealthy amount of pride yep. in, in your leadership and in your life. Um, so I think the proper response would be, so if it's personal is immediately prayer, you know, just seeking the Lord to humble you, to uh, just plead for the spirit to bless you uh, and gift you and empower you to be gentle um, and uh, a person of integrity, a person of uh, love towards this person uh, and not feel like you have to go wage war on behalf of your reputation Mm -hmm. or to defend yourself out of anger. Like you were saying, you know, but you do need to go confront the person. Yeah. And the same thing goes if it's not for you, if it's for something else, like if it's for something else in the church, I mean, go wanting to listen more than you talk. You know, don't go in with this kind of, hey, I heard that you said this thing. Don't go immediately start accusing and bringing up evidence like it's a court case. Like go seeking. um, I mean, immediately what comes to mind is is the teaching, especially from Paul on church discipline, Mm -hmm. you know, the aim is restoration. The aim is 
to have this person be restored. Uh, and, you know, even with, you know, Jesus saying that if, you know, if there's something between you and your brother, leave your offering at the altar, go and find them and be reconciled to them. Yep. Uh, so there's something to be said about trying to have the aim of reconciliation. I want to be reconciled. Whatever's going on, I want to get to the bottom of it and I want to hear you. Instead of, I want to know what you're instead feeling. Instead of being right. Yes. Yes. Like go with the aim of listening. Yeah. You don't even have to have like a conclusion to that. Make it a multi-part thing. Like right. don't try and just immediately snuff it out. It might be something that is going to take mm. a lot of time. But when you go, have the sole aim of, hey, I want to, can, can we talk about this? Yeah. And when you say, can we talk about it? Be more of an active listener mm -hmm. than you are someone who presents facts yeah. and tries to button everything up in that conversation. Um, and same thing goes with false teaching. Like go if so, if someone is sitting there saying something crazy, don't just come in like the heresy hunter and try and crush them. I mean, this could just simply be ignorance. Yep. It could be something that they just have never been taught the truth. And, and that could, that presents you with a shepherding challenge, you with a disciple making challenge, you with a teaching challenge. But if your goal is restoration, if your goal is reconciliation, if your goal is loving and shepherding this person instead of being right or instead of trying to diffuse the situation as quickly and as cleanly as possible, you're actually caring about the person more than the problem. Yeah. And I think that has to be how pastors deal with these things. Yeah. If you're a pastor, you should care uh, more about the person than the problem. But I feel like too often it's just quicker and we think it's better to just get them to shut up. And I don't think that is shepherding. Mm -mm. Yeah. I mean, what I hear you saying is that we need to be peacemakers uh, as pastors. Um, you know, we need to so one of the things we ought to be doing is laboring for peace at all times, laboring for, for reconciliation, not trying to, you know, just to win an argument, not just trying to, to fix a problem, uh, but remembering that we're caring for people. Um, you know, Paul says in in Romans 12, 18, he says, uh, or 12, 17 and 18, he says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So I, that the last half really stuck out to me as I was preparing. Just if possible, uh, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So like we should be making every effort to maintain unity and peace uh, in the midst of our churches and in the midst of conflicts. Like we should be the ones taking the initiative to de-escalate and taking the initiative to humble ourselves and to be the first one to find, you know, like, okay, what was my part in this? And, you know, is there any way, like you said earlier, is there, is there a shred of truth even, okay, this person might be attacking me and might be slandering me behind my back. And obviously it's not a good thing for them to do that. And that's not the best way to handle it, but you know, is there a point and can I humble myself enough to see that, admit that and come to them and demonstrate that humility? Because oftentimes when it's when we demonstrate that humility and we kind of extend the olive branch first that they will reciprocate. And oftentimes it can deescalate a situation with somebody who was really kind of, you know, uh, maybe demonstrating some, you know, some hostility towards you uh, that it can soften them. 
Um, it's amazing how like first Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. Um, and it actually does like it really works. I've seen it happen. Uh, one of the, one of the pivotal moments, I I say pivotal. It didn't really like, I didn't really pivot. So maybe one of the (laughs) most influential moments in pastoral leadership that I, um, was a part of, I was on the receiving end. So I was being corrected. I was a, a young adult pastor at a church and one of the senior pastors um, uh, needed to address something that had happened. And the, to set the tone of the meeting, he said, hey, this is on me. I have never talked to you about this situation. I did not, you know, make you aware that what you did was wrong. So I'm owning that. Every time I go into a meeting where I'm trying to correct someone, I try and look at which ways I have failed as a leader before I go and talk to them. And so this is on me, Mm. but we do need to address it. And I was like, man, that was so awesome. Like he just set the tone of saying like, hey, we got to talk about this. Here's my here's my fault in this. And you um, probably and right. received just that. Like, you probably received that way, way, way better than you would have otherwise. Because instead oh of seeing it as an attack, you saw it as, oh, this person actually cares about me, and they're not bringing this up to attack me. They're bringing this up because they 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 love me and they want me to grow in Christ likeness. And it's amazing how it completely can change the perspective on. And what's cool is that again, like he didn't have to avoid the confrontation, right? Like that's not. That's not what peacemaking is. Peacemaking is not avoiding confrontation. We think that that's what it is, um, but avoiding confrontation can oftentimes make it worse because it'll just simmer beneath the surface, right? And slander and stuff like and gossip start to to run rampant in the church and stuff like that. So that's not good. Um, no. So yeah, I, I love that man, and I do think that. There are times, though, where uh, unfortunately making good faith efforts to try to make peace don't, you know, work. And you're going to have situations where you're going to continue to have somebody who is, you know, being unrepentant in their divisiveness and they're continuing to just kind of sow seeds of discord or, uh, you know, they're not willing to be teachable and, you know, in doctrine and they're, you know, you know, propagating some false teaching that's questionable and, or maybe even that's like anti-gospel. And so, uh, you know, like scripture is clear to us that, uh, you know, I think, you know, Jesus taught, tells us in Matthew 18 that, you know, church, you know, church discipline style, we go to that person and we, you know, tell them their fault and, uh, you know, and, and ultimately if they don't listen, then, you know, further measures are taken. And, you know, Titus three, 10 and 11 says, uh, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self condemned. Um, and so sometimes maintaining gospel unity means separating from those who threaten it. Um, and unity shouldn't just come at the expense of truth because we're united around the gospel. And so if the gospel is threatened, then unity is threatened. And that doesn't just mean gospel doctrine. It means like gospel living. If that's threatened, then unity is threatened. So like we, we have to 
be careful of not saying, well, you know, we want to be united. And so we're just going to, we're, we're never going to confront somebody and we're never going to ask somebody to leave the church or something like that. Uh, unfortunately, there are going to be times where you're going to have to, uh, you know, ask people not to come back. We've fortunately had to do that before where, you know, there's just been situations where we've, we've tried and tried, uh, with, with certain people to, uh, you know, to, find grounds where we can have peace, but those people have just not cooperated and have continued to, you know, be divisive. And for the sake of the unity of the church and for the health of the church, we've had to ask that person not to come back. Um, and, but that's, you know, uh, Paul clearly tells us that sometimes that's what needs to happen. Yeah. And I think one of the things, again, I I'm, I'm, might be restating this, but Ministry leaders, especially pastors and church planners, there has to be some sense to where you expect this. Like, it's not like you're looking forward to it. um, And it's not like you should expect just outright rank heresy from within your church. Uh, You know, Lord willing, that won't happen. But we are shepherding sinners, you know, and there really is a devil who is trying to sow seeds of discord among the family of God. Like he just is, because if we're not united and divided, we're less effective. And we we show a very um, perverted image of the body of Christ. Yep. Like it's just not it's not what it's supposed to be. Um, and so if he can't condemn our eternal souls because we've been saved by Christ, well, then he can make us ineffective in our public witness and in our sanctification as Christians, because we need one another for that even. Um, and so not being caught off guard, I think, is important. And so so modeling unity um, yourself and how you deal with it um, praying for unity in front of your church uh, and encouraging unity when it comes to your eldership, your leadership team. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, trying to create a culture where unity and not uniformity, no, but unity around the gospel. Yes. Unity around the gospel. um, And a love that unites that is ours in Christ, you know, Creating a culture where that is celebrated, where that is protected is important. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, we're, we're not in a perfect world. Like there's going to be times where you're called to lead like that. Is, you know, uh, leadership is actually a servant role. If you really look at the way in which leadership is modeled in the Bible, that those who are called to lead are called to serve the people they lead in their leadership. And sometimes that uh, is, is challenging. That's right. And so that's what Jesus we, taught. I mean, he told the, you know, the disciples, servants not greater than his master, you know, and then he says in Mark ten forty five, you know, right after that, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his yeah. life as a ransom for many. So he's our, you know, he's the, the, the chief shepherd, the one whom we follow. Yeah. 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 And so what, if I could give one final word or, you know, encouragement to, you know, any pastors, church planters, ministry leaders, um, is be patient, um, with those who it could be just miscommunication, unmet expectations, uh, ignorance, 
Um, but if you really see that this is something that is heresy or this, you know, I'm not telling you to expedite in any way, but, you know, even in your church discipline, um, don't don't think that you're above doing what Jesus calls us to do when dealing with sin in the church, because at the end of the day, a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. Right. And so some of this stuff is stuff that can get into the church and can cause further division, can cause further issues uh, and affect gospel witness, gospel proclamation. Um, and so it's not, it's not so uh, insignificant that you should just like toy around with it. You should address it, mm-hmm. but make sure that you're addressing it in a way that honors Christ Amen. and that's modeled in, in his gentleness and his lowliness. Uh, and that's a plug for uh, Dane Ortland's book. Amen. Yeah. Gentle and lowly by Dane Ortland's awesome book. Yeah, I agree. I think that I, I just want to piggyback on something you said, um, you know, talking about uh, unity and praying for unity consistently uh, and, and modeling it well as a leader. Like if you are modeling the humility and the teachability to be able to be the first one to go and, and, and to make peace and to admit when you're wrong. And if you are talking about it and you're praying for it uh, frequently and you're teaching on it and making an ensuring that, you know, your people understand why, you know, unity around the gospel is important, then that will tend to create a culture in which that's fostered. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that where I'm at right now, Pillar DC, we've really been blessed with a lot of unity. And that's not an accident to me because our church came together. Our church was formed when uh, two congregations merged. And um, that can always has the potential to be a really combustible situation. Um, And uh, so we started to pray specifically. uh, We, you know, prayed Philippians 2, 3 and 4 of our congregation where Paul said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he goes on to talk about how have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so we, we just begin to pray that scripture, you know, from our launch time all the way through, uh, you know, and we still do. Uh, but specifically early on in the life of our church plant, we prayed that scripture over our church and we pleaded with God to give us that unity that was a humble unity that considered others more important than ourselves. We said, we're not going to make it about me and my preferences. Um, we're going to lay aside our own desires and our own, you know, preferences for the good of the gospel uh, and, uh, you know, for the name of Jesus. And it's been so cool to see God answer that prayer in, quite frankly, in a situation where there would have there could have been plenty of reasons to divide and plenty of reasons to not be united. Um, but, uh, we've seen that unity and, you know, Lord willing, it'll continue. We're going to continue to fight for it though, because, uh, there have certainly been, you know, things that have come up that have tried to threaten it. And, uh, you know, coronavirus has been one of those and, you know, the, the, the election, you know, going on is, uh, one of those things, but it's just gotta be fought for. So, um, but man, it's good stuff. We could keep talking about this. I know, uh, a lot more, but, um, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for, uh, this week. So we want to thank you, our listeners for tuning in to another episode. Make sure you go to 
getinthetrenches.com and you can find links to all of our other episodes and to blog posts that are posted regularly there. If you have not subscribed to In the Trenches, shame on you. You need to go subscribe uh, on your favorite streaming platform. It could be Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts, whatever it is. Please go subscribe because the more people that subscribe, the more people will discover in the trenches church planting podcast when they search for church planting podcasts. And so, uh, if this is a blessing to you, if this podcast is a blessing to you, then that's one of the ways you can help us out. So we'd love it and be honored if you would do that. We're going to be back next Monday with another episode of in the trenches. So until then go out there and get in those trenches, church planters and pastors. Mm -hmm.